Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. I'm so excited just about what God is doing in our midst. And I feel this morning I'm just going to share some of the scriptures that I have been, um, I've been feasting on, chewing on, meditating on. Joe and I have just, and the girls have just celebrated, I think it's seven years in Manchester. We moved August 8th, 2016. So that's seven years. We've been eight years in the UK, and we came here, for those of you who might who might not know, we're part of a ministry called The Ramp that's actually based in Alabama. And some of you guys just got back from The Ramp in Alabama. If you've been to The Ramp in Alabama, raise your hand. Yes, okay, so some of you. So we were, we were part of um, The Ramp in Alabama and then had personal words and then corporate words about The Ramp starting a base in Manchester, England. And so here we are, and we have just incredible, we're joining with all the laborers that are across this nation. There's just some huge prophetic words that are unfolding over this nation, right? And people from north, south, east, and west are being sent and sustained here in this place um, because God is moving. And isn't it amazing that we can be a part of what God is doing? Like, do you ever think of it like this, like, like we were sinners, we were rebels, we broke God's trust, we had a broken relationship with him. He intervenes and saves us, conquers our enemies. He doesn't have enemies, his enemies are just our enemies. They're, we were the ones oppressed by the enemy. God was doing good up in heaven, right? He just had trouble with Satan and what? Kicked him out, problem solved. But we were the ones that were oppressed and bound. He comes in, delivers us, saves us, but then he doesn't just save us and fill us with the Holy Spirit. He then trusts, like gives us an opportunity to be a part of his plan. I think about this sometimes, like think about those of us or, or any of you in this room or you know somebody who has been convicted of a crime and you've been in prison and you come out of prison and you're trying to find work. And it's really hard for, for um, people who've been in prisons with criminal records to find jobs, right? It's like every single one of us in this room, we, we had a criminal record. And God wiped, wiped it, nailed it to the cross, and then invites us to be a part of co-laboring with Christ while we're here on the earth. So this is a privilege to be a part of what he is doing. Now raise your hand if you were born and raised in Manchester. Anybody? Becky on the front row. Yep, some of you guys. Okay. So you guys are just as sent to this place as people like James and myself who've come from other nations. You're just as sent. God has directed your steps, rooted and planted you here, and your missional purpose is just as significant as if you uprooted and moved to another nation. We all have missional purpose. So this morning, though, I'm not talking about missional purpose necessarily. I'm going to just share with you kind of the process of journeying with God 
into promise. Now, Pastor Mike has recently shared about um, the process of prophetic fulfillment, and this is a little bit off of the back of that, and it's a little bit off of the back of Chrissy's word from last Sunday, where she was talking about the testing and how God tests us. And we are in a season right now with them. Unexpected news about venues, you know, those are challenging problems. But let me tell you, as tough as the venue thing is, I'd rather have a venue problem to sort than a slander problem to sort. <laughs> it's easier to sort a venue than to try to unify divided people. And I'm just telling you, praise God, if we have unity and faith, then I think we've got the big things sorted. If we can trust God and stay unified, then God will sort the buildings. But let's not lose picture of what the most important thing is. We did this little exercise last week in our, in our team uh, staff meeting where we were talking about, you know, what would be, what would be a success coming through this season and what, would, what, what do we subconsciously think would be a failure? And kind of just naming those things and identifying them. And it would be, it would be we would get through this and it would be a success if we had deepened trust in God right? If we had faith, if we came together in faith, if we came together in unity. Now, we can do our part in asking, seeking, knocking, but there are parts of this journey that only God can do, and we are here fasting, praying, asking, seeking, knocking, waiting on Him to do His part, but we want to be faithful to do our part, to watch the space that we hold together in being unified and not missing the goods that God is really after as he grows us into his people in this season. So we're going to uh, continue in faith, in prayer, and uh, believing God to keep us right where he wants us to be, right in that place. Where does he want us? More than he wants us in a smashing, uh, manifested provision of a building, he wants us living utterly dependent on him. He wants us living in a place of humility where we are seeking him with all of our heart, loving him. These are the things in the spirit that actually shift things for nations. Amen? So let's look at Deuteronomy. Actually, I'm going to start in Exodus 3. And we're going to use Israel just to um, journey a little bit, talking about the process that God has us all in especially when we come into situations that are outside of our control. There's much of life that we can't control, but there are some things that we can control. And the temptation is to get hung up on the bits that you can't control, like other people's behavior. But mine are on the bit that you can control, your behavior. <laughs> we get confused about these things, right? So we, we need to stay focused on the bit that God has entrusted to us and not lose the plot line, not lose the storyline of what he's really after when he's taking us on a journey with him to promise. So we're going to do some back history here starting in Exodus 3 verse 7 and then we're going to go into Deuteronomy 8 and a, a little bit in between. Are you guys all right? Okay. Exodus, seven, or Exodus 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. That phrase right there, I am concerned about their suffering. The loving kindness of the Lord. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So now the cry of Israel of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now God is writing this story of humanity. He's the author and the finisher. And when you read this story and when you think about your own story, you quickly clue into the fact that God likes drama in his stories, right? <laughs> His books are not boring, we will keep it that way, right? He says to Israel, he's gonna deliver them. Then he purposely hardens Pharaoh's heart. Things get harder before they get easier. That's what we call drama. That's a good story, right? You're on the edge of your seat. The Israelites, they hear that Moses is gonna deliver them, and then they find out that they're gonna have to go find their own straw to make the bricks. It's like things are getting worse, Pharaoh is getting harder, and God is just watching his plan unfold. His plan to, yes, deliver them, but also to be glorified through them. So let's remember the start of this story is Israel is being oppressed. Israel has enemies. Israel cries out to God, and God works wonders to bring them out of slavery into freedom. So now they're journeying to the promised land, and they're journeying through the wilderness, and it takes them about .5 seconds to forget the plot line that God is good, and that he intervened when they were oppressed, that he was moved with compassion by their distress, and you move just a couple verses later, and because of material provision that's lacking at the time, they completely doubt God's character because they don't have food. And listen to some of the things they say just very short distance into this journey. Exodus 16, verse three. They say, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. So their whole narrative, the story that they're telling themselves is God doesn't care about them, God's just out to kill them. Drama comes on both sides of the story. Can we just say that? Made in the image of God. Yeah, we are, okay? So God is like working up the storyline and they go without water and they switch the story in their head to God. I mean, they just had the tambourines and Miriam and they were just singing and dancing and prophesying the goodness of the Lord that doesn't end and goes from generation to generation. And now they think because there's a lack of provision that God is actually out to kill them. How quickly this turns. And then they keep going, some of the things they say. Okay, they're grumbling to Moses, they're grumbling to Aaron. And they're grumbling to him, and, and Moses says, you know, why are you grumbling about, to me? You, um, your problem is with God. And we always, when there's, when there's tension in life, right? I'm, I'm guilty of this too, we find somebody to blame. And since we can't blame God, we, we know that that's not right in our head, we find flesh and blood to blame. So they're grumbling and they're complaining. Listen to some other things that they say here. In 17 verse three, they're challenging Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? And then later on, they, they're looking for water and they finally, they're testing the Lord and they say because they don't have water, is the Lord with us or not? 
And there's something just so, you know, the, when in Exodus 17, we've been in this spot where, um, where we've needed a venue before. So it's not an unfamiliar place in this wilderness journey that we're on to the promised land. And, um, you know, right before lockdown lifted, we had been, you know, maybe like 17 months where we hadn't been able to meet anywhere because we didn't have our own building. You couldn't hire venues at that time. So we had been, it was miraculous that the Lord sustained us. Well, about a month before lockdown lifts, we get word from the school that we were meeting at that they weren't going to be hiring out to us anymore. So the timing was just, again, it's like impeccable timing. You're just like, wow, we've been sitting around for 18 months and now you're telling us that we can't meet next month. So we were praying and we were looking for venues, knocking on doors, doing the whole bit. And it was a long, I mean, last, we've, we've contacted before when we've had venue searches, it's like it's minimum of at least 70 venues that you're trying to go and contact. It's not like, oh, well, it's a big city, just get a venue. It's like, well, do you have 10,000 pounds a day or do you own a building? You know, there are challenges. It's not always straightforward. So I was wrestling just a little bit with the Lord about, you know, I was in bed. I can remember this was like weeks of trying to find a spot. And I was finally just like, Lord, you called us to be a church. We, we believe in gathering together. We want a corporate worship. We want to meet in homes, yes, but we also want to meet together in a building with a corporate worship experience and kids' church and youth and all this stuff. And I was talking to the Lord, and I felt the Lord just lead me to Exodus 17, where the Israelites are asking the Lord for water. Water is so, right, necessary for survival. So they were being dramatic, but then when you really put yourself in the story, it's very easy, at least for me, to imagine, gosh, like the fear of the Lord hits me. I, where would I be in that crowd? <laughs> they were dying of thirst, they felt. They had children. They had, you know, there's no water. And um, so they're crying out to the Lord for water. But the sin was in they had accused God's character by saying, is the Lord with us or not? The Lord, Lord, you have to prove yourself again. Never mind the fact that you just threw the Egyptians into the Red Sea. Never mind the fact that you did the impossible. Like, here we are again, God, prove yourself to us. Show us what you've got, if you love us, if you care for us, if you're leading us. Instead of this quiet trust in the character of God that had just been revealed to them, they say, is the Lord with us or not? And, and, I, and I remember that night, just the Lord really saying, just reminding me, Stacy, just because you have a physical need, a need in the natural, you can never equate a need in the natural with God has forsaken us. When you read the story, when you read even about Paul's life, Jesus, the Son of Man, no place to lay his head and everything, it's like we are so quick to just say, if there's a physical need, if there's a deficit, I don't have friends, you've led me to this place, and I don't have community, you've led me to this place, and my gift's not being used. If there's any sort of deficit, we question whether God's even led us. And I felt the fear of God grip me and be like, Lord, no, you've led us, you are with us, and that's the most important thing. And far be it from me, I would rather die thirsty with my heart trusting in who you are, then be swept up into a natural circumstance and slander blaspheme who you are. 
when the very purpose of my existence is to bring you glory and be a witness to others, that there's a higher source. Money, you guys, you have your own battles where you sense a need. You sense there's an unfulfilled desire and it feels legitimate. Maybe it feels as legitimate to you as water is to a human. But in that place where you are walking with the need still there, can you trust that God is with you? You think, well, if he's there, why doesn't he just meet the need? Because there's always something bigger and deeper than temporal needs being met that God is up to. So Israel's on this journey. They start having these hardships. They test the Lord. They grumble. Several occasions, the Lord wants to kill them, which is shocking, I know. In fact, I was reading this with, we were reading, talking about this passage with my girls, and Chloe was like, I didn't know that God would ever just want to kill them all. Because <laughs> doesn't, you know, and it is, what do you think? Okay, just wait till you have kids, it'll make sense. <laughs> the, the lack of gratitude and the sense of entitlement can just be so overwhelming, right? So we, we are on this journey, not just of growing into who God, but God is revealing his character to us through all of these things. And he's not just this kind and gentle father figure, mother figure, but he's also this holy king above all kings, where everything is gift and grace and nothing is owed to anybody. So we learn the different facets of God's character through this. So now let's go to Deuteronomy 8. And this is... So when we have needs, when we have hardships, when we have trials, we don't want to fall into the pit of what the Israelites did. And it was a heart thing and a mouth thing, right? First it was the unbelief in their heart, is God with us? Does God love us? Then to greatly, like quickly expressing, well his whole intention for us is he wants to kill us, he doesn't care about us. Jumping to massive conclusions. Forgetting the history that they had just made with God and now accusing his character. So we don't want to fall in the, the grumbling. We don't want to, how do we, Lord, how do we get through test, trials, need, testing, Lord, where we even, we don't have legitimate things that God has promised us. We're in that waiting period. We want to root down in the character of God and not forget so we can pass the test. We've got, in order to do that, we have to stay more in touch with his storyline than the present facts. If you want to keep above the test and pass the test, you've got to understand the objective of the teacher. You've got to get the storyline of what he's actually doing. And even when you read through the Gospels, you hear Jesus coaching people. It's the crowds in Matthew 6, the disciples. He's pulling them up out of, he's helping them loosen their grip over their fear and anxiety that they're bound to in the temporal realm. And he's calling them up higher to the eternal things that matter. So he says things, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear. He also says to the disciples that will all be martyred, not to fear those who can kill body or soul, that he, that nothing can actually harm them. <laughs> Have you ever read that passage? I've read it, I've read it, I'm like, you said nothing can actually harm them. They all ended up being martyred. So his harm is different than their definition of harm. 
Their harm, they're just thinking about their physical body. His harm, he's thinking about how Satan wants to sift them like wheat and destroy their faith by persecuting their physical bodies. He sees their faith. They see just they need to be safe, physically safe, physically fed. So he's pulling them up into the bigger storyline of what he's doing. And not just that he's wanting us to be to suffer and have hardships and tests, but two things. He's wanting us to experience his goodness and display his glory. So we've got to come up to this higher story. So in Deuteronomy 8, Israel has a storyline. Their storyline as they go through hardships, the Lord has abandoned us. Even in Isaiah 63 or 49, Isaiah 49, but Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me. This is when they were exiled into Babylon. So they're exiled into Babylon, and, the, and Israel is saying, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. But the Lord's storyline, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Here again we see the story that God is telling and the story that they're telling themselves are different. So there's tension there. They're holding that anxiety. They can't figure out the circumstances. They're looking at God through their circumstances instead of that higher place of being seated with Christ in heavenly realms and viewing their circumstances with God downward. So Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So let's just go through this real quick together. The first thing he says is be careful. Be careful to obey. I love this little phrase because that word be careful, it gives us this understanding. It's far easier to not obey than to obey. If we're not intentional, We'll, we'll just disobey. But with the spirit living inside of us, now we are awake to what God wants and there's hope that we can obey. But we still have to be careful and pay attention to what God is saying so we obey. You have to have your head in the game. And then he goes on, so he says, be careful. Obedience is what's gonna lead you into this land flowing with milk and honey. What God asks of you, what has he asked of you? Just think about it even in this city. Do you know what God has required of you? Do you know what he wants from you? 
Maybe you're confused about that. Maybe that's one reason why you walked into a church today. But I'm telling you, God's not asking you to obey and then going to leave you in the dark about what he wants. He's given you his spirit and he's given you his word. And when it comes to obedience, start with what you have. We often, when it comes to obedience, we start immediately looking for an external new thing to do. Maybe something flashy through the mouth of a prophet. But we forget and we've not taken seriously the things that he's already revealed to us. If we are faithful in doing what we know, then he gives us more to do. He talks about this in the Gospels, that he gives more revelation to those who steward well the revelation that they already have. If we want to experience the fullness of God, that everything he's promised, obedience is a very important key. And it doesn't just happen haphazardly. It happens intentionally. It happens with focus and vigor. It happens like with Isaiah 50 where he says, I have set my face like flint, determined to do what God has asked of me. What would it be like to have a community of people all throughout this city, and I believe there are, could we be a part of a people who are determined and intentional and prioritizing walking in obedience to the little things that God has asked us to do? What if it wasn't we just occasionally visited that, that idea? But what if we were like what God told Israel? We like took it so seriously what he said. We started writing it down, meditating on it, putting it, Israel was told to even put it on your forehead so you don't forget. What if we had that kind of fear of the Lord where obedience was not just a high that we experienced, but we are walking in it, hungering, staying so attentive to what the Lord says. I'll tell you what, we would begin to experience more of the righteousness, peace, and joy that we have access to. Because everything that God asks of us is meant to lead us into life, into the expression and the experience of his kingdom. So obedience. And then he says, remember how the Lord led you. Over and over, Israel is saying that they have forgotten, basically. Their expression, the way that they're living their lives is saying that they have forgotten the faithfulness of God. Right? God brings them out. Moses goes up the mountain. And they forget about that God and they make their own God. We have to intentionally think about what we're thinking about. So we can remember the faithfulness of God. In remembering the faithfulness of God, you build and walk in faith. How do you get faith for things like miracles and venues and healing and all this? You remember the faithfulness of God. It's a great starting point. And if you don't have a personal history with God, then thank God you have access to this record. Everybody has access. Everybody in this room, because of the nation that we live in, has access to records of God's faithfulness. But it's not just this record that I pull. I pull, I, I pull my personal record. I pull this record of God's faithfulness. But then I pull my friend's records. I pull Miss Karen's ramps. And those memories of what God has done, it keeps me in faith. So that when we're waiting on God to do what only he can do, waiting on God is not just kicking back, just being passive. Waiting on God is doing whatever you have to do to stay in faith. 
It's holding the promise of God until every muscle in your body is shaking, but you've got the promise of God in you, holding it. You're not dropping it. So how do we stay in that posture of faith? We recall the faithfulness of God. What do you do when you're faced with a mountain, a prodigal that's left home, miracles that you need? What do you immediately start with? Recall the faithfulness of God. How far he has brought us. And then the bigger storyline of what God is doing in us through these tests where we are in a place of great need, like Israel was, needing water, needing food. When he is testing us with a lack, a temporary, momentary lack, he's humbling us. He's reminding us that he is God and we are not. He's reminding us of the need that we have for him. Because especially in today's age, we can, be, be, we can so easily fall into the current of being a self-made man, an independent person. But then we get hit with something we can't solve. And it is a gift from God because it awakens us again. We were designed and made to be one with him, dependent on him trusting in him to do what only he can do. So he's humbling us. He's humbling us because he loves us. When you come into a new season, maybe you come to a new church, a new city, and it's like you had these things back in your old season. You had community, you had gifts, you had opportunity, you had provision. God calls you out, you come into this new place. You don't have community, you don't have opportunity, you don't have all these things. Do you, are you testing God and doubting everything he said in the last season because there's a momentary lack? Or are we bigger than that? Do we know that maybe God intentionally leads us into lack to remind us of what we really need? Humility. What we really need more than community and ministry opportunity is dependence on him. Is instead of entitlement for all these things that we had in our last season, maybe what's a bigger deal to him is that we have gratitude for what he just did in our lives. So he's humbling us, and he humbles us by sometimes stripping away the things that are most valuable to us. We don't know how enthralled with our idols we've become until it just falls in front of us and has nothing to do to help us. And we can make an idol out of anything and everything. All of the things. Sometimes our idol is community. Sometimes it is the ability to prophesy or evangelize or do the thing for God that we love. So he intentionally brings us into a place where it's not existent and we can feel the ache of how much we put our joy in that thing instead of the source of our joy, God alone. It's the kindness of God to humble us and remind us of where the fountain of life really lies. So he's humbling us. He's testing us to prove our character. Character is at least 95% of the whole ability to be, you know, used of God. Where we get it kind of mixed up, right? We think it's like in the ability to communicate the giftedness. And sometimes in our thinking, we think, well, it's maybe 95% of how well you've done with your gifting and you're developing yourself. And then 5% on, you know, can you keep from gossip and can you keep a secret? But in God's world, 
opportunity is given to those who are trustworthy. And we've talked about this at Ramp Church. Think about your own relationships. How do you know if somebody's trustworthy? It's because you've been, they've tested, you've tested them, you've gone through things that have been hard. And that's where you really get to know somebody. When the conflict comes, the testing comes, then the real people come out. He's testing us to reveal to us our character. He already knows it. He sees it. But we need the awakening because we, we can get it all messed up. So he's testing our character. He wants to trust us. He was wanting Israel to be a light to the nations, to be his conduit of glory to the rest of the world. Wow, that's amazing. And character was necessary that they wouldn't take the glory for themselves and forget about the God who gave it to them. What things has God called you to? What vision? What ministry? What prophetic words do you have? There's one path to the fulfillment of those prophetic words. It's in Psalm 105. It's the path of testing, where it says that what? Joseph was tested by God until the fulfillment of the promise came. What is God doing in us right now? He's testing us because he wants to trust us. What is he doing in you through some of these impossibilities, through the lack that you're feeling? He's testing to see where does their hope lie? Where's their confidence? Where's their security? Are they secure in me? Or is their security based on these external things? He's testing. And then he's wanting, even through, I mean, it says he humbled them with hunger. There are some of you who are hungry for things that are legitimate. And in every single one of us as humans, we, we walk as children of God with hunger here on earth. We have access to the bread of life and the bread of presence, but we still are hungry and groaning for the full manifestation, as it says in Romans 8. What do we do with that hunger? Do we resent God for it? Or do we lean into him? Do we trust in him? He's using that to teach us that we don't live by bread alone. Think of bread not just as the provision, but think of it those things that the world tells us are absolutely necessary to be alive as a human on planet Earth. For example, we talked about this in our last chapter, or one of our last chapters, single dating married. The, the world around us would say, well, sex, great sex is like bread. If you don't have great sex, then you can't even really exist. You're not even a full human. But Sometimes God calls people into seasons of celibacy and consecration and even he calls us to purity because he's saying, you actually don't live by that alone. You're more than that. Or think about career and plans, retirements and investments and all these things that the world says, you better have that if you're going to exist. And God comes and he strips those things from Israel. And then he says, you don't live by this because you're not of this world. And your source is not in Egypt or the princes of Egypt. Your source is in me. You are my people. What are you telling yourself? What story are you telling yourself 
about the needs that you have in your life? Is the narrative of the world defining that storyline? Or is God working in you that dependence and humility, that trust in him? He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Oh, I just love that. When God calls you into a new place, they leave Egypt. It was the word of the Lord, let my people go so they can worship me. They come into this wilderness place and the word is tested. Some of you have come here to Manchester. You've come to this church on a word from the Lord. But you feel need. You feel the different voids of the places that you left. Here's the test. Are you moved by circumstances and feelings? Or are you moved only by the word of the Lord? Every time you have a God assignment, your feelings are at some point going to oppose the way that God assignment feels. So we have to be bigger than that and be immovable and only moved by the word of the Lord. And let me tell you this, because you're alive in Christ and the spirit of God lives in you, you can know what God is saying for you. Every single one of you, as a, as a believer, you can know and understand God's will. Now you may have to seek it with your whole heart. Ask, seek, and knock, and then keep knocking and not give up. You may have to wait on the Lord. He's not a slot machine or a fortune cookie, but you have been hardwired to hear and know the will of God. So you can live off of what he is saying, revealed through his written word, revealed through his spoken word, and then we become a people that come hell or high water. We are not moved by the circumstances. We are moved what God has said about himself and about who we are and the assignment that he's brought us to. That sounds like an extremely stable place to live. A secure place filled with peace. To be moved and led by the word of God. Not by the way people act. That your life isn't a reaction to all of these other circumstances. Your life is a reaction to the word of your, of your Savior. What he says. I want to be like that. Well, I don't want to be easy prey and I don't want to bail. Because of things that aren't even mine to control. My responsibility, your responsibility, is be careful to obey. First hear what he says. What is he saying to you? And then let his spirit work humility by staying in the process. By not jumping ship just because there's a storm. People don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I just want us, even in this season that we are in, and that you may be in personally, to keep the bigger storyline. We can't necessarily, we can pray, fast, decree, declare, but God's the one who holds the hearts of kings in his hand. So our confidence is in him to open and close doors as we act in faith in response to everything he leads us to do. So we're going to do our part, but my prayer is that each and every one of us would come through this season with greater trust in the Lord. That just like Chrissy said last week, he's not punishing you, he's testing you. 
He's not punishing us. He's testing us because he's wanting to build us as his people. Somebody came up to me a couple weeks ago at church and said, how can I, um, how can I know that God loves me because I have this, this illness? And it's one of the biggest questions. We, we equate, again, the, the, the circumstances that we're suffering in, and it's hard to reconcile the love of God. Sometimes in that suffering, and I'm certainly not going to claim to have the full answers for that. But I want to tell you some verses that have really helped me. And one of them is Romans 8. I want to close with this passage. Romans 8, I'm going to start in verse 35. Again, going back to what the Word of God says. We trust in His character and His goodness based on how He has revealed Himself through scripture, through our own lives, but through Christ, the visible image of the invisible God. In verse 35, it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, can we just make it our goal to be like Paul in this moment? In whatever young people, hell or high water comes your way, whatever happens to your body and your relationships and your finances and your career, whatever happens to the nation you live in and the community that you've rooted in, whatever happens, could you be convinced of the love of God? Could we be a people that is so rooted in the love of God that we outgrow equating his love to comfort in a temporal split-second scenario on earth and we put it right back where it belongs to what he did for us in Christ. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what true love is, the Apostle John says. Christ laid down his life for us. I'm gonna ask the band to go ahead and come on up. To me, the most life-transforming message, good news that we have today, the best news, the unchanging news, is that we are loved by a good God. We are loved by Him. And everything he does, every bit of discipline, every bit of the twist of the story that he's writing is coming from a God who is love. This is the news that we root ourselves in. This is where we ground ourselves, we root ourselves in this truth that God is good and for us and he loves us. And I wanna be a person 
that's not so easily misled by the hardships of life. I want you to be a person that you know your God personally and you have your own history with him. So when he leads you into seasons of loneliness, seasons of silence, seasons of solitude, seasons of persecution, that you are so confident, your confidence in him keeps growing. Even though it's tested, it keeps getting more real and more deep. Let's stand to our feet.